What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 7 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. Welcome to episode 171. If you're new to the DFS MVP podcast, we are a strategy-based NFL DFS podcast. Every week, going over our favorite values on FanDuel and DraftKings for the main slate, but also giving you a theory topic every week ranging from the macro to micro, trying to make you a better DFS player overall. This week, we're going to be diving into how to manage different types of projections, floor projections, medium projections, ceiling projections, even ownership projections. If you found us and haven't checked out our other DFS shows yet, please make sure to check those out. Every Monday, Matt and myself do a cash game review only on YouTube. That's 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, Matt Harmon of Yahoo! does a DFS uh, segment with me covering Yahoo uh, values. That is a podcast that could be found on the DFS MVP feed or on the Yahoo feed. And every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Jordan Vanek and myself do our DFS GPP last look show. That is on the 4 for 4 subscriber-only Discord. Make sure you get signed up for that right below. If you haven't signed up for the DFS subscription yet, Sign up with the promo code DFSMVP. That'll get you 10% off the already discounted price of $74. And if you found us today, we'd like to let you know that the DFS MVP is brought to you by Super Draft Fantasy, the official fantasy partner of Caesars Rewards. DFS MVP listeners get an instant $20 deposit match with your first deposit by using the promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4 at registration. Get it now, play the Super 15 game, a game everybody has seen in memes, but nobody could play for cash until now. You'll recognize it as soon as you see it, and this is the first time you'll be able to win money playing it. Again, use the promo code 4 for 4 on Superdraft for your instant $20 deposit match and try it out for yourself. And anyone who deposits on Superdraft for the first time can enter to win a free NFL jersey Make sure you go to 444.com slash superdraft for those details. Matt, welcome to week seven. Week seven, the first off-ramp, if you will, for some DFS uh, half-timers, if you will, yeah. getting into the NBA season. How dare they? We're still going strong with the NFL season, of course. And this is a wild one. Five games on the main slate with yeah. a touchdown or more favorite. That is... That is peculiar, and yeah. certainly some strategy things being built out of that. Excited to get into it. Yep, uh, unique slate with with just ten games. Um, four of those ten implied point totals of thirty or more. So um, you would think we're going to have like crazy condensed ownership because of of the ten game slate, but so many high scoring games that maybe it'll be spread out a little bit. And yeah, I mean the there is some traffic clearing from the DFS highway, but some people start jumping on this time of year too when those. Uh, those 0 and 7, 1 and 6 redraft teams start needing a little fix. Uh, they start, hopefully, they find their way this way. Uh, let's jump into it like we do every week, starting with quarterbacks. Who are you looking at at quarterback this week? A couple familiar names. Um, that yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely familiar. And if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize. I'm having a little lag with my camera, but we're going to power through. Jalen Hurts. I don't know if you've heard this name if you've been listening the last few weeks, really all season long to the DFS MVP podcast. But we're going to harp on the same qualities, the same metrics that we have all season long and just lean on them because we know how much raw points matters in a one week slate. And I wrote in my notes here, welcome to the era of the premium QB. Maybe for the last decade or so, we were in the era of the late round QB. Certainly, you've heard that slogan many a times in your season-long fantasy drafts. Certainly applicable for a long time in DFS as well. But if you look at our value rankings, particularly on FanDuel, we're not seeing any any player pop at the quarterback position yeah. who is under 8K. You really got to go... You know, to Ryan Tannehill, 7,600 on FanDuel before you're you're under that AK mark. It really has to do with the floor and ceiling projection of these very top guys. So Jalen Hurts may not be on this list for very long because his real-life football has not been great. But when you talk about the ability to get the double DraftKings bonus, 300 yards passing and mm -hmm. 100 yards rushing, absolutely something Hurts can do. Although I will say, I don't like stat lines like last week where we saw 115 passing yeah. yards, 
4.4 yards per attempt. Yes, it's great that he's adding so much with his legs, but that's going to get you benched in the NFL eventually. But still, QB2 in carries per game, QB2 in red zone carries per game, and QB1 with 50 rush yards per game. That's literally a 50-yard passing TD worth of rushing fantasy points for Jalen Hurts. I really don't even care about the game script, but with Las Vegas being the 10th worst in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses and leaning towards that rush funnel, which means that rushing upside of the quarterback, I'm all over Jalen Hurts at that slightly reduced salary compared to other QB1s. On uh, on our Yahoo show, Matt Harmon and I were making a joke every week that uh, we're just going to record our DJ Moore segment and play it back because we were they were un- they were right. underpricing him every single week. But I mean, this this is what we're trying to do, right? We're, we're we don't care if we do end up um, having to play these guys over and over. Like it's we're our, our goal is to play the best plays. And, and you talked about um, the the value at quarterback on Fanduel, and um, and and he's still priced uh, okay on, on DraftKings at sixty nine hundred. But I I tweeted out this week a breakdown of how each site prices their players relative to the salary cap. And one thing that is very apparent, and and I think if you've been watching the show, you might know, but if if you're only playing FanDuel or or just kind of getting into DFS might not be so obvious, FanDuel prices their top players in terms of percentage of salary so much lower than other sites like DraftKings and Yahoo that it just doesn't even make sense. That's why we say like, you jam in your studs on FanDuel. It's not lazy analysis. Like the the percentage of the salary, the way they price their players, the ceiling guys are priced lower relative to cap the, uh, than the other sites, and the floor guys are priced higher relative to the cap uh, compared to fan uh, compared to DraftKings and Yahoo. So it makes sense to to get these guys in, and and then on DK, yeah, when you got that double bonus, the rushing upside, he's still a a really good value there. Moving on to my guy who is in that same salary range and, and a lot of those guys as you mentioned jammed into that eight thousand dollar range lamar jackson eighty four hundred on fandle so he's priced more appropriately this week like on on fandle you're not going to um lose much in terms of salary equity if you go up to patrick mahomes but since we're talking about both sites here i wanted to uh, emphasize jackson because he is so much cheaper on DraftKings, so he isn't in that tier of quarterbacks that are projected for uh their teams are projected for 30 plus implied points uh but they still have the the ravens do have an implied point total of 26 and a half points against a Bengals defense that is middle of the road against quarterbacks in terms of um adjusted salary allowed and going back to that point about Jackson on DraftKings, we know he's going to have one of the highest floors, if not the highest floor every week because of what he does on the ground. He's running at the highest rate in the league every six and a half snaps if we look at quarterbacks. But he also has a ceiling comparable to anybody. I mean, I know a lot of people like missed out on his ceiling last week because he lost all those rushing touchdowns, but you you can't argue the the amount of fantasy points he could put up and you're getting him at an $1,100 discount to Kyler Murray, a $1,000 discount to Patrick Mahomes on DraftKings. So we have to be talking about him going back to that point about all those running backs getting um, kind of stealing the touches. Latavius Murray, I, I believe he's uh, com- like doubtful or out this week. I think it's out. So with he no, Latav- ruled out, yeah. yeah, ruled out. So with no Latavius Murray, I mean, I know they got the other two guys there, Freeman and Bell, but you just have to think that as those options dwindle, it's going to be more likely that they use those guys at the same rate, just because. I think the reason we saw all three of them score touchdowns is because they don't want to be using any of these running backs on 50% of snaps or giving any of them 15 to 20 touches. So instead of saying, oh, I think Freeman and Le'Veon just get that work that Murray was getting, I think they just use um, use Lamar more. So I like him in this spot. He's a top two value on both sites. Um, we know we love Lamar as long as he's priced this much below the top guys. He's pretty much going to be a slam dunk uh, for us every week. Yeah, it's that easy. He's playing arguably better than he was when he was an MVP of the league in 2019. So I'm never going to complain there. And, you know, the way I look at that game last week, too, is if you just group Lamar Jackson into the backfield fantasy points, which for the Ravens would be more appropriate to do that than any other team. Mm -hmm. I just see it as randomness and really that that calling points for that backfield was right on. And we're going to keep going back to the well there. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Moving on to running backs here, we're going to start talking about these massive spread games. And mm-hmm. we'll start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the, for, the former champions, 
And their new RB1, apparently, especially if you look at the last three weeks, Leonard Fournette has really taken this team's backfield. And when you talk about the quality of their offense, the amount of times they're in the red zone, and yes, they do pass a lot in the red zone, I'm still going to take a running back who's getting used so frequently on this high-powered offense. His 20.6 FanDuel expected fantasy points per game since week four, that's second among all running backs right now. He's the opportunity is absolutely there based on just the amount he's playing and the quality of offense. Again, when I was looking at a metric, I was uh, talking in our uh, four for four slack this week about a metric salary per expected fantasy point. No running back showed up, especially on the FanDuel side as a better value play in that metric than Leonard Fournette. Chicago, I know has been the fourth best in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, but Mm -hmm. they're also bottom 15 in yards per carry allowed. I think there are going to be opportunities here. And as the Vegas total tells us, there's probably going to be points to be scored. Tampa Bay, the second highest team in total flex expected fantasy points per game and number one in total flex fantasy points per game. That's the type of offense, especially when it's extra concentrated without Gronk and AB that we want to target. You're going to hear more about this team from me later on. Yeah, I was going to mention the 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 Gronk and AB thing if you didn't, just because even though Chicago is a team that uh, has been good against running backs, obviously we have the potential for a tremendous game script with, with Tampa Bay being such a big favorite, but Fournette's done enough in the passing game where even if they are like bottling up the run up the middle, they're going to have um, – Lenny involved in in the passing game. Obviously, they still have Evans and Godwin, but I think he'll get enough work and um, even early on in the game through the passing game where he's he's a fine play. So I'm, I don't think I'm too worried about that matchup metric um, this week. You mentioned the huge favorites, and, and we do have a lot of them, and, and I, I like the favorites a, a lot. But if we are trying to save salary, uh, Daryl Williams really stands out as a guy where like one of the few, all these all these top running backs besides Henry are bunched kind of close together, and then Williams is kind of a, a tier below them in terms of salary, but I think he's similar tier in terms of um, floor and ceiling, especially after what we saw last week. The Chiefs are four and a half point favorites in the what should be the highest scoring game of the week, and the Chiefs have a 31 point implied to- total in that game, so should be lots of scoring opportunities, but more importantly than that, we saw with Clyde Edwards Hilaire out last week. Darrell Williams got 24 touches. We knew he was going to be the primary back. I mean, there was still a chance that they worked in Jarek McKinnon or, or just didn't run the ball as much because the Chiefs, if they want to, they can just throw 80% of the time. Um, but really, really, I mean, good if you used Williams to see him get that kind of workload. It included four targets, it included three touches inside the 10 yard line. So that's obviously encouraging. His 86% backfield share, percentage of backfield touches, was the highest for a Chiefs running back since week one. It was the eighth highest in the league last week. Um, Casey is, they're, they're actually surprisingly running at a league average rate in neutral game script. Do you think of the Chiefs as this team that's just come out and then throw it every down? They haven't been doing that this year. They, they've been using their running backs quite a bit and that equated to um, Williams' workload last week. So with a, a possible really good game script with Casey running the seventh most place inside the 10-yard line this year, um, tons of floor for him, tons of scoring upside for him. He's our, I mentioned uh, the, the price saving. He's our top value below $7,000 on FanDuel among running backs, top value below $6,000 among running backs. So he's he's the one guy that you could pretty comfortably plug in this week uh, and, and save some of that salary, especially on DraftKings where it's really important. Yeah, and if we were just looking at 24 touches for 5,800 on DraftKings, yeah. we would just say, hey, this yeah, is probably exactly. a decent value play. And then you add on, it's Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs offense. Yes. It's kind of a no-brainer from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to um, Lenny's team, the Bucks. you got a guy at wide receiver that you're really liking, especially with, uh, I mean, shout out to the injury reports. I mean, it sucks that AB and Gronk are out, but hey, Bucks, thanks for letting us know on Friday instead of Sunday morning. Honestly, it should be that way for most <laughs> players. Like, if you can't get through a Friday walkthrough before yeah. Sunday, like, maybe just wait till next week. Save your body. But anyway, I want a little credit that we did this show sheet last night before Antonio I was going to bring that. I was going to bring that up. Thank you. I, I need that. <laughs> I need that for my self-esteem here because Chris Godwin was popping in our breakout oh. receiver model early in the week. And while Antonio Brown has basically been – I hate to say it, but almost vintage Antonio Brown over the last few weeks. I believe he before 
when we had him in the slate, he was the fourth highest wide receiver in current fantasy points per game on the main slate. I mean, just the numbers we were used to seeing from Antonio Brown before things went awry, if you will. But I'm focusing on Chris Godwin, especially because that salary has continued to drop 6,700 on FanDuel and 5,900 on DraftKings. This is an easy value now that the Antonio Brown news is in, but it was a value before that as well. I mean, I expect Godwin and Evans at this point to command 40 to 50% of the targets and maybe 60 to 70% of the air yards. That's actually something we saw last week, but it was Antonio Brown included. So we know basically that there's going to be less volatility in the range of outcomes, which raises the floor and the ceiling for Godwin in this plus matchup against Chicago. Tampa Bay's red zone and goal line passing as well increases their team expected fantasy points and their team total fantasy points, as I mentioned with Fournette. So there's just so much opportunity and now it's concentrated opportunity. We're taking that all day. Yeah. The, the expectation for all of these pass catchers for Tampa Bay was going to be very high, no matter what Um, the, the bear, I mean, obviously the median projections change, but the big thing that changes, I think all of these players go from, um, we're not sure how to stack them, how to use them, probably not cash plays when they're all healthy because you just don't know where the targets are going to go. To now, Chris Godwin probably going to be like the chalkiest receiver on the slate and everybody's going to be double stacking Brady with Godwin and, and Evan. So probably the most interesting thing is they probably go from fantastic tournament plays because if you're able, if you take a stand on them when um, they're all healthy and one of them hits, you win. Now they're going to be chalky plays. Um, it's just one of those interesting scenarios, but it makes Godwin a, a smash value for sure. Uh, going back to a game that we already mentioned as well, I'm going to go back to that Chiefs game, but go to the other side. Look at A.J. Brown, assuming he could get over um, the longest case of food poisoning of all time. He tweeted yesterday that uh, you know he's still having a problem with food. So as we record this on Friday, hopefully by, by Sunday he gets some Pepto-Bismol or something. But Can someone seven- find out what he ate? So we can so we can all never eat there again. Maybe it's like gas station nachos or something. I don't I don't want to speculate, but that's my that's my guess. Yeah, I don't want to lose our our gas station nacho sponsorship if we have one coming. But (laughs) if that that was it, then we got to stay away. Um, AJ Brown, seven thousand dollars on FanDuel, sixty three hundred dollars on DraftKings, as I mentioned, in in what should be a really high scoring game. Fifty seven and a half point over under. Julio is questionable. He said he felt great. A local Tennessee beat said he's iffy. Uh, so uh, unfortunately for Julio, I'm taking the the beats word over his just because we know the history of Julio and, and his injuries, especially the lower body injuries. Even if he does suit up, he's so liable just to be out there for 30% of snaps or something like that. So uh, that obviously gives uh, AJ a boost to his expectation, expectation even if Julio does suit up. We saw A.J. Brown last week with the issues, still was able to go out and play questionable basically until the last minute and still saw 36% of the targets. He's seen at least 29% of the targets in each of his last two games since returning from injury when he's played the majority of the snaps for the Titans. He's averaged um, eight targets, which isn't quite the elite tier, but I think in the spot that that target share and that eight uh, target average might jump up to maybe 10 or something like that. Casey bottom 10 in fantasy points uh, allowed per pass attempt. So uh, in this game, shootout, even though the Titans are going to obviously try to lean on Derrick Henry, uh, they're still just a team that's going to, when they do throw, their points are going to be super concentrated between A.J. Brown and Henry. So in this spot, Brown should be able to get his in in this game. That I I think this game probably goes to script. I I don't see too many scenarios just because of the way, especially the way the Chiefs play, where this game just hits a gross under or something. Like maybe it it goes under slightly, but I don't see this any scenario where this game is just like a a forty five point total or something like that. So I'm I'm loving AJ this week. Uh, Who's the second receiver you got? I wrote the same thing on my notes. The only way that this game fails to get near its total as injuries and yeah, I yeah. couldn't figure well, out yeah. any other way. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little annoyed that this receiver is also bubbling up around the fantasy football industry. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a, it's too obvious of a positive regression candidate, Man. which I should mention, we can find the metric, the underlying metrics that show us that this player should eventually play better. But guessing the when is something that is a little bit harder. If it should happen, 
that that's an easy that's an easy answer. Yes, it should for this player positively regress. But for Calvin Ridley, it's been such a strange season. Wide receiver eight right now in target share at nearly twenty eight percent of the Falcons targets in games that he's played. He's wide receiver three in terms of share of team air yards. So this is elite wide receiver usage, exactly like you drafted him in season long fantasy leagues for and in expected fantasy points that just rolls up the all of their usage into a scale that we can all understand fantasy points. He's wide receiver three in expected fantasy points. Minus five fantasy points versus expectation tells the rest of the story here. We just haven't seen touchdowns. We just haven't seen production, even though the usage has been pretty elite for Calvin Ridley. And I know he missed their last game before their bye week in week six. But Atlanta, like we wanted Matt Ryan to be, he's back up to number two in the NFL in pass attempts. So the Mm -hmm. overall volume is finally back up. And he's number five in red zone pass attempts. So now that we've seen 42 plus passes in three of the last four games and Miami, the team they're playing against this week, is the second worst defense on the slate in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. Now I'm absolutely fine saying this is the week that we're going to Ridley, that we're trying to guess that breakout. Can we 100% say so? No, but the underlying usage says that the production should be much more, I'm going to bet this week, that it starts to even out. And I, I'm surprised too. I was hoping that um, Ridley, uh, after after a, a slow start and then uh, not playing in London, then having a buy that he would kind of fly under the radar a little bit. But it seems like he is going to be a um, kind of a, a pop popular contrarian pick, if that makes sense. People are going to be saying that that he might be contrarian. I think he just might get uh, juiced up a little bit by the time we we see. Um, ownership rollout on Sunday, but yeah, he's, he's in a really good spot. We saw Pitts get his, um, a couple weeks ago in the London game. And, and I, you have to think that the points that have been concentrated to quarter Patterson go to the players that are getting the elite usage. I mean, I know he is getting some high value work, but Ridley and, and Pitts are, are so much that offense that you got to think that some of those big scoring days start going their way. I'm going to go back to a game that you've already talked about twice and look at the other side of it, the Tampa Bay game. You got to think that there is hopefully a bring back option against Tampa Bay. They're such a pass funnel defense. The, um, the, the bears are going to have to throw. They did. They, they are starting to loosen the reins up on fields a little bit. So I'm going to go with the guy that he's been throwing to the most since he's taken over starting quarterback job, Darnell Mooney, $5,900 on Fandle, $4,600 on DraftKings. I like, I like him and Allen Robinson. Uh, they both were dealing with some issues, um, limited practice participants. I, I think after they both played last week, they should both play this week, but the Bears are going to have to throw. They're probably going to be down big. Even if they aren't down big, teams are throwing 78% of the time in neutral game script against the Buccaneers. You just don't run against the Buccaneers. No other defense has faced a neutral passing rate above 65%. So the gap above from them to the rest of the league is just massive. All teams are doing are throwing against the Bucs. It's, it's reflected in their fantasy points allowed. Uh, if you look at schedule-adjusted fantasy points on 4 for 4 25th against quarterbacks, 30th against wide receivers, and 9th against running backs. Uh, As I mentioned, over the last three weeks, Darnell Mooney, 4th in target share in the whole league, over 30%. And hopefully they're able to take advantage of some of these deep balls that Fields has been throwing since Fields became the starter. 22% of his passes uh, have been 20 or more yards downfield. No other player over 17% in that category in that span. So... Hopefully these guys start popping. I, I think Fields, we saw him. I, I think he had six rushes last week. So if he's able to get out of the pocket, extend some plays, they just let him improvise a little bit. We see it start hitting. We saw them get behind uh, Mooney and A-Rob get behind the Packers uh, secondary a couple times last week, and they just couldn't connect. Um, hopefully they can take care of it against Tampa Bay this week. That Yeah, gosh, I'd love to see it. I, I yeah. mean I- – this would change the game environment entirely and just force Tampa Bay to score more. And that would affect all of the fantasy players Mm -hmm. on that side of the ball as well. So I really hope that we get Darnell Mooney and honestly, Allen Robinson finally Mm -hmm. getting the breakout game. 
uh, kind of speaking about game environments and just playing playing those environments in general, that's a really good segue to my tight end pick because I'm going to go with TJ Hawkinson and we can talk about the individual player and how he's one of seven or eight tight ends who are really capable of just based on usage and decent production, getting you to a 20 point DraftKings score. After that eight or so tight ends, you need so many things to go right. And so I do want to highlight this top eight. And then of course the top three, Kelsey, Andrews, Waller being a cut above them. But I really do think that even I am guilty of just kind of tossing out this mid-tier when it doesn't yeah. work out for me. I try to pinpoint Mike Gusecki, and then a week after I play him, he's scoring 20 points. Same with Noah Fant here. But I just want to talk about how we can look at these high-quality players who are capable of getting to a solid 3x value, even at mid-tier salaries. And then we can add other players who are even in even better spots. So, for instance, we have the Rams playing the Lions this week. And so you can have Cooper Cup as your wide receiver one in your cash game lineup easily. And so then TJ Hawkinson not only becomes a good value play on his own based on his opportunities, but based on correlation, based on game environment, he is added to your lineup. So even though we have more volatility in the tight end projections, we still pair it up with our lineup. When one thing does well, we have a higher likelihood of the other doing well. So now let's get into the stats for Hawkinson. His 11 targets was his third, last week, 11 targets was his third game with nine plus targets and all the underlying metrics make him look like an elite tight end. Tight end four in air yard share, tight end five in route participation rate, tight end eight in red zone targets. And remember, he plays for the Lions <laughs> and he's tight end eight in red yeah. zone targets. He's getting healthier. He has sustainable usage and Detroit will need to pass. This is enough to play that mid-tier tight end, especially if I'm getting to the premium players on the other side of the ball. And even in cash games, it does make sense to lean into that correlation you were talking about because if we have a position, you talked about the, the volatility or missing on, on the tight end in the mid-tier. If you have a position that's highly volatile, that's really hard to predict, then why not just lean into that volatility so that when you are right about one thing, you're going to be right about the other thing. The thing we're talking about here is a specific game flow. So instead of just throwing darts at, at the tight end, correlate it with whoever it is, Daryl Henderson, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford. And they're actually a, this is actually a really good spot to do it because if we look at the uh, DFS correlation tool on four for four, we see that Hawkinson actually correlates very well with opposing quarterbacks, which makes sense because they have been that the Lions have been in a ton of negative game script. And when they've done that, they've either looked to Hawk or DeAndre Swift. And we see the Rams players, they the their main players, Cup, Henderson, and 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 Stafford as well, they correlate well with opposing passing games. They throw a lot. They force other teams to throw. That makes sense. So Hawkinson is actually a really good play. If you're in cash lineups, you're probably going to find uh, a lot of Cooper Cup, Daryl Henderson types of combos in there. It makes sense to uh, to include Hawkinson on those teams. I'm going to drop down uh, a little bit in salary, uh, 5,900 on Fandle, 4,600 on DraftKings for Dallas Goddard at the Raiders. Everybody knows that Zach Ertz got traded to the Cardinals, so this is the moment that some of us have been waiting for. Uh, Goddard, Goddard getting the um, the 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 full time tight end job for the Eagles. Uh, Philly is maybe surprisingly because J we talk about Jalen Hurts running so much. Philly is top five in passing rate in neutral game script and 26% of their targets have went to their tight ends, whether it be uh Goddard Ertz or, or an ancillary tight end. That's the eighth highest target share in the league to the position. And the Raiders are bottom 10 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Uh, the Raiders are favored in this game. I have a little bit more to say about this game in a couple minutes, but I actually like the Eagles to pull off the small road upset in this one. Um, I just like the potential game flow. I think the Eagles have a lot of uh, metrics that point to their offense popping and, and breaking out if they stop throwing so many damn screen passes. But uh, I, I think the Raiders are really vulnerable against some key positions that uh, and the way that uh, the Eagles run their offense. So I, I like the Eagles a lot this week, um, especially Dallas Goddard at, at his price tag. Moving on to defenses, a game we haven't talked about, but actually a game that I really like, especially on this side that you're going to bring up. Uh, who are you liking on defense this week? 
Yeah, so with defense especially, I like to start at the bottom of the salary pool and continue to move up until mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a comfortable position with my salary with from a salary and a value perspective. And Arizona defense aside on the DraftKings side, yeah, they're just yes, begging yes. you to play Arizona Man. on the DraftKings on DraftKings at 3100. Yeah. This is the last of the mega favorites, the lowest salary of the mega favorites that we can find. And although the Green Bay defense has been up and down this year and they're actually slightly giving up slightly above average adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses, I do think the Washington football team is also an extremely volatile offense to target, especially when we're really looking for sacks and turnovers. One thing I notice is that Taylor Heineke right now is uh, based on player profilers charting. He's ranked second highest in amount of danger plays and in interceptable passes. So even just ignoring what's actually happened on the field, this is a risk taker who is forced into negative game scripts. And even with Jair Alexander, the all-pro cornerback for the Packers, out for an extended period of time, likely this season, I still think there is enough that could go awry in this game based on this over-a-touchdown favorite team. For, excuse me, for the Packers over the, the Washington. Mm-hmm. I do think that you're going to see some turnovers in this game. So also I noticed that Washington is bottom 10 in offensive line protection rates. So we could get some pressures and sacks as well. I really like the Packers, especially on FanDuel at 4,100. Yeah, the, the Cardinals on, on, on DraftKings, I mean, that is like, it almost scares me that they're priced as such because DraftKings pricing is usually really sharp. And I'm like, did somebody, when they entered the, the algorithm, did they forget a, did they forget the one and the spread when they put the, the, the algorithm to build out salaries or something? But uh, I will say about that, that price, I think, I think people are going to see that they're um, in that mid-tier in salary and want to hit the lock button on them on, on DraftKings. I will say that doing some early builds on DraftKings, the salary that you can save from, even though they are underpriced as a standalone play, the salary that you can save by still punting the position can get you up to whatever whatever stud you're missing, whether it be Cooper Cup, Derrick Henry, whoever you're trying to pay up for. I still do think that you should make sure that you're not just clicking lock in a generator just because they're undervalued. Like they're still like expensive enough where they could keep another stud position player out of your lineup. So just make sure you're prioritizing those Cooper Cups, Derrick Henry's if they're in your player pool over the defense. And then if the defense fits and in cash games, I'm talking about here, not GPPs in cash games, if, if that defense still fits, then you want to be playing them. But uh, if you are trying to punt defense, going back to the game that I, I just previously mentioned, the Eagles 3,500 Fandle 2,300 on, on DraftKings. I think this game is a good, um, it's a good spot to be different from the field because I think the, the ownerships in this game might get juiced up a little bit because of Goddard and Hart's being good salaries because I think some people are going to be excited about um, what they saw from the Raiders past game last week, what they saw um, with Jacobs getting a lot of work the last couple of weeks. And uh, in a game with a high over under, I think this game could be a little bit popular. So Eagles make an interesting contrarian GPP play. And they're just a, a team that can save you a bunch of salary on, on defense with, I think, a, a good defensive floor justin edwards every week he does an article that highlights the best o-line and d-line matchups for defense offense pass game running game eagles stand out as one of his favorite picks um, in terms of positive games for a defensive line he points out that the eagles are really good at getting pressure up the middle we saw the raiders do good against a, a good pass rush last week but that was against really good edge rushers he thinks they could really struggle with Derek Carr getting pressure in his face, and, and I actually think that is a very good point. And the Raiders do pass at a top five rate in neutral game script, so if they're throwing a lot and the Eagles are able to get pressure on them, that's just that many more opportunities for Saxon fantasy points. Um, and then just another little quip about GPPs, I, I think Miles Sanders makes a pretty interesting contrarian play because I think Josh Jacobs will be somewhat popular. So uh, a nice little correlation mini contrarian stack if you're thinking about Sanders and Eagles. Um, I won't get into why uh, we uh, Sanders here, but um, you know, go go on go on the GPP show on Sunday morning, and I'll get into <laughs> details on that. So I know people are yelling like, "How the hell can you play Miles Sanders?" Come listen on Sunday, and I'll talk about it. Yeah, and, and overarching ideas for this very strange slate with so many heavy favorites, especially with heavy favorites in the late games, 
let's remember here that alternative game scripts happen all the time in the mm -hmm. NFL and things get turned on their head quickly. Yep. And especially if you're 1 p.m., the players that you choose during the 1 p.m. games don't do well, you can pivot to these underdogs, these good players on underdogs, heavy underdogs, and they're based on the public perception of the team, they're probably going to be under-owned compared to their usage and their opportunity. So don't be afraid if you need help, if those lineups are dead in the water anyway, if you don't switch, to go to those teams, go to those Lions players, go to those Bears players that don't feel as good because they're on heavy underdogs, but they're going to help you get to help you differentiate yourselves in the right moments. Yep, go check out the um, GPP review this week called TJ's Takes, Week 7 TJ's Takes, and I actually talked about um, how undervalued or how underrepresented underrepresented high-volume underdog running backs are specifically in DraftKings tournaments, so make sure you uh, go check out. Uh, we also review the FanDuel Sunday Million as well. If you're a new FanDuel Fantasy player, your day's about to get 20% better. Start playing fantasy football this season with FanDuel and you'll get a 20% bonus on your first deposit up to $500 by going to fanduel.com slash DFSMVP. That is a big time bonus. All you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit. They have some of the best contest structures on FanDuel. We love their single entry contest. It's some of the best offerings. I talk about how they pay out a high percentage of a field in a lot of their GPPs. You can check out my Twitter for specifics on their GPP structures. If you aren't into the GPPs, they have a lot of different type of game formats for the main slate. For single game, they even have best ball snake drafts. They have private contests you can play with your friends as well. And there's an awesome slate of games on hand this week, including the Sunday Million, which I just talked about that we cover every week for strategy on that. We've already talked about some of our favorite players on FanDuel this week, like Darnell Mooney, like TJ Hawkinson. Experience season-long wins without the season-long wait. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash DFSMVP to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash DFSMVP. Age and location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. Matt, let's jump into the theory segment for the day. Um, and this is a... Good one because we get a lot of questions about this. Um, on four for four, we do, and then we'll we'll break this up in, into a couple different um, uh, small segments. But we do three types of projections for fantasy point projections. We do floor projections, median projections, ceiling projections, and a lot of people ask how they should be using those, when they should be using those, and then we do ownership projections, which when we get to the ownership part, I'll get into the specifics of what that means and the difference between the two sites. Um, but I, I think a lot of people see those. And, and if you're new to DFS, the fantasy point projections, pretty intuitive ownership projections. I think people can use some guidance on, on how to use those properly. Um, so we'll get into that. So uh, first things first, let's just talk about what these different types of projections are and why they matter. Sure. Okay. It's very basic. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, opportunity statistics, and then looking at what would be a lower or extremely low efficiency on that expected opportunity. And that's how we're basically, very, very basically deriving a floor projection for a player. So players with more opportunities, more targets, more rushes are going to pop up with higher floor projections, regardless of the efficiency, which is much harder on a week to week basis to project. The median projection is probably including something around or near their current efficiency metrics. Like usually in, in a lot of projection systems, they'll uh, project the targets and then yards per target to predict the amount of receiving yards. Very simply like that. That's how you get a median projection, usually something around the player's average. And then a ceiling would be what is a reasonable ceiling efficiency for that position, for that player and then adding it to an expected opportunity, maybe boosting that opportunity a little bit as well, creating a ceiling for all players. And this is the part of that, that actually annoys me a little bit, is that everyone's ceiling projection, when viewed in a spreadsheet form, just a column, starts to feel like it's kind of similar. And so <laughs> yeah. I actually think that's one of the hardest things is seeing, well, this guy's ceiling is 25 yeah. points. This guy's ceiling is 27 points. What does that functionally mean for mm -hmm. me? And that is really where ownership 
gets involved here. And, you know, if there was one right answer to how to balance all four of these factors, we'd all be millionaires and this would be mm-hmm. a very easy game. We could all go home after this one podcast and we'd be done. But ultimately what we want to do is care more about ownership the more people we're playing against and the more we get for winning first place or near it. So ultimately in big GPPs, we want to care a lot about ownership. And I wrote in my notes here more than you think. I urge you to go (laughs) back to our leverage episode from a week ago that kind of talks about being contrarian and the concept of leverage in general. Now, before we go further about what we're going to do here, a non-analytical approach to coming up with ceilings, which obviously matter in DFS a little bit more, map out the stat lines based on the game script. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about exact stat lines, but start to get into your head based on the platform I'm playing. What does 100 yards and a touchdown equal in fantasy points? You should know that quickly off the top of your head or or similar. What does this player actually need? And then check their box scores. Have they ever gotten scores like that before? Sometimes we can find ceiling scores that make sense when we're breaking down the matchups and looking at the opportunity, but then you go, wait a minute, they've literally never done this before, and we need to factor that in, especially if the ownership is high on that player for whatever reason. Yeah, before we get into um, how we actually use these different type of projections, I will say that um, going back to just your explanation of them, if you're looking at at 4 for 4 or almost any, um, probably any site that's doing good or even decent projections that medium projection that's going to be our most accurate projection that's going to be the most likely outcome um but that's also the one where in in tournaments where when we talk about building volatility into your projections those are the ones that we are looking for the situations where they might stray the furthest from those medium projections so that's where the floor and the ceiling comes into play the players that have the biggest gap in floor and ceiling between those medium projections those are the high volatility players the lower volatility guys are often players that you want in cash games not always um and the higher volatility guys are going to often to be the guys you're going to be targeting um in gpps where we do see the big you mentioned that we see these ceiling projections bunched together quite a bit sometimes on the floor side, you often don't see them much together. So I, I think you've mentioned um, like Lamar Jackson a, a couple of times on, on here um, and maybe even Derrick Henry, but like we'll often see that their medium projection might be one point higher than the next guy, but three, like their floor projection might be two and a half, three points higher. So when we're looking at these projections and whether it be a fantasy point projection or an ownership projections, it's not necessarily the, the raw projection we're thinking about, but the relativity of it, right? So if the gap between a player's floor projection is huge, then that player is probably going to be a much safer play than another player who is projected similarly. So really when we're thinking about in terms of safety and volatility, when we're talking about floor, median, and ceiling projections, um, I, I think we'll probably hold off on ownership projections a little bit just because it's kind of its own thing but uh let's talk in uh, a little bit about your approach to using these different types of projections and cash games and tournaments called it the the lock-in one approach yeah and this is uh, i'll say this is my own personal take on it so please take this as you will do your own research as you always will but i i really have found that this approach makes sense for me and this lock-in one approach in cash games just refers to locking in one player's floor projection and then creating lineups around that floor projection. And then on the tournament side, I'm locking in one player's ceiling projection and then creating lineups around that one ceiling projection. And ultimately what that's doing for me is letting me see new combinations of players and then seeing where, when I look at the combined ceiling or the combined floor, and I noticed big differences, as you were saying, TJ, that's where we can start to differentiate lineups that actually have a chance at first place. Because ultimately, and and there's nothing wrong with building lineups this way, you can certainly win lots of money in DFS just using median projections. But ultimately, it comes down to one or two players hitting their value in cash games enough so that you can just get enough from everyone else. And in tournaments, it's one or two players hitting their absolute ceiling while the rest of your team doesn't bomb, gets you enough. Mm -hmm. So when we lock in one, we can start to build around what happens when I'm correct about this Mm -hmm. one thing. And ultimately, 
I'll get to this in a minute. My, my next point here, yeah. that's what we're aiming for with ceiling projections. When can I use this ceiling projection and what happens when that ceiling projection actually hits? Yep. Uh, and before we get into that ceiling, because I think the ceiling might be, it, it, the name of it is intuitive. We're looking for the ceiling. I think it's probably the use least intuitive in terms of how to use it correctly. But before we get into that, I think for DFS purposes, I think there is actually a lot of, um, there's a lot of danger in using projections if you don't understand what you're looking at. And, and what I mean by that is that the thing that a medium projection is fantastic for is start sit analysis. Like I think you can take medium projections, look at the player that's ranked higher, even if it's just by a fraction of a point and play him pretty confidently. Obviously there's some, some situations like a lot of times if it's a running back or wide receiver decision, sometimes just go with the running back. But I think medium projections are fantastic for that. Very accurate for that. For DFS, we aren't, playing a game of start sit if we were playing just a straight pick them game and everybody and and you're you need to just get the most number of players right and not the points then medium projections would be great for that as well but that's not what we're trying to do we're we're trying to tailor our lineups to different game types so a lot of times you'll see and, and i i mentioned this a little bit with um the cardinals for example they have such a high projection that they're going to show up in the lineup generator a ton this week. And I, I think people that don't play a lot of DFS might look at it and be like, well, why would you project them that high? Because that is their medium projection. We have to understand what you're trying to do in DFS and use a cash game example. S sometimes you'll, if you have a player pool, you, you can lock these players in and the median projection is going to give you these lineups that might have the highest overall projection. And even if you're using floor projections, a projection just doesn't necessarily capture the nature of positions and the nature of builds and what you're trying to accomplish in a lineup. So in a cash game, if you're playing in a double up, for example, where all you need to do is beat 50% of the field, it doesn't make sense to forego, say you're on FanDuel, to forego three running backs that have a very high floor because your median projection says that four wide receivers who are moderately priced but only see like six targets per game or something are going to give you a higher projected lineup. Um, so understanding things like that, understanding what you talked about with what uh, high-priced quarterbacks can offer you, just because your your lineup projection or your your lineup generator tells you that the um, uh, the lineup with the six thousand dollar quarterback has a higher projection, that doesn't mean you should do it. I'm not saying don't use lineup generators. I'm saying understand what the lineup generator does, and and we could do a whole podcast on properly using lineup generators, or we probably will. Understand what it's trying to tell you, and understand that you still have to tell the machine or the robot what to do. So selecting the right player pool, that's when you start using lineup generator correctly and using these projections correctly, at least the floor and the, the median projections. Um, let, let's get into the ceiling projections and, and how to properly use those. So you talk about the idea of, of playing for first place and using these ceiling projections. So um, what exactly do you mean by that? What exactly do you mean by a ceiling game occurring? Sure. So when we talk about the concept of playing first, playing for first place, and I certainly didn't make up that phrase or this <laughs> yeah. concept, but when we talk about that, it's we're embracing the volatility that we understand about each of these positions in fantasy football because they are different in terms of volatility and doing what we can to differentiate ourselves, again, using ownership projections, so that when we are right about a few of our ceiling games actually happening in a lineup together, we've earned enough so that we just need things to go basically like we expected, the chalk to hit, if you will, for us to reach first place or close to it. And as a side note, I write here, and something I remind myself all the time is a 3x value on a 3K player is nine points. And it doesn't help you get to a tournament win because you hit yeah, 3x yeah. value on all your 3K players. Yep. And one of the things that often happens when we're using median projections is that suddenly this 3 $3,300 player is popping in all of our lineups because comparing their dollars per point or yeah. points per dollar, it, it looks better than everybody else, yeah. but it's still not going to help you mm -hmm. get to the top yeah. unless they have a 30-point game. So really, it's about what types of ceiling performances are we chasing? 
And I write that they fall under two categories, players that are legitimately capable of 40 plus points and everybody and their grandparents could probably name those players who could get to 40 plus points. We don't have to go into that. But the other one that we have to talk about is low ownership plays who need what I say here, only a few things to go right to get to 15, 20, 25 fantasy points. And it's really funny that Deshaun Jackson has reemerged on the Los Angeles Rams because for years he was the poster child for this ceiling archetype because essentially he could have three catches, 110 yards and two scores on 4% ownership. And all you needed was to just have the chalk in your lineup Mm -hmm. and you're, you're cashing everywhere in DFS. Ultimately that's one ceiling game. One ceiling game changes the way that your week goes. So, uh, one little last thing I'll say is so many people who use lineup generators are just generating lineups, letting the machine do the work, but mm-hmm. then they are downloading that, going into Excel, going through a process where they're doing exactly this, comparing floor, comparing ceiling, adding ceiling to one player. So I encourage you to, if maybe you are living that spreadsheet life in your pre-lineup selection, yeah. and you are you do have access to our DFS subscription, and you're doing lots of lineup generators, try to go into those lineups and work after you've generated lineups as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing I will say about that specifically is that you mentioned these players that like on, on DraftKings, if you have a, a 4K player that's projected for 13 points, he's going to look fantastic in his um, in his projections. And if you have him in your player pool, he's probably going to show up in 100% of lineups. Depending on the position, maybe it's a good play, maybe it's not. And this goes back to my point about understanding how to use a lineup generator or using whatever tool you're using is that we are still in charge of the inputs. Um, So instead of just selecting, instead of sorting by value, say on the four four lineup generator, start with whatever players you're locking in. I usually start with a stack. Sort by the ceiling projection because then if you're sorting by these players that have an actual ceiling, you're not even though this player is a good value most likely his ceiling projection isn't going to come anywhere close to players that are way higher in salary than him but by building a player pool of players that actually have high ceilings and already having the the values that you believe have a high ceiling yourself you're going to see what kind of lineups can be generated that have a true ceiling now once the lineups are are generated that doesn't necessarily mean to go with the number one lineup but you're building a group of teams that actually has a real ceiling so um, I, I do think that is a a really important point to note. Um, I want to get into some couple notes about ownership projections, but I, I think you have a couple more things to say about ceiling before we get there. Uh, that's really pretty much it. But remember that some players, uh, especially rookies and second year players who are eventually going to be those first round every year wide receivers first pop up as big ceiling games. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of point to some players that could be later on in the season. Like you could see Devonta Smith, popping off for a huge amount or uh, Van Jefferson. I know we mentioned Deshaun Jackson, but Van Jefferson is another player on an elite offense, second round draft capital. And again, if you just see a couple of 30 point performances or 20 point performances, I'll be more realistic. Suddenly the perception of Jefferson after two or three of those games, wildly different than it is now. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's say a couple words about ownership projections. I mean, I think what an ownership projection is, 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 um, should be pretty intuitive. It's basically how how much we expect a player to be used in a game on four for four. Our ownership projections are reflective of large field tournaments. Um, that's what the majority of people are playing. The difference between if you're unless you're playing super high stakes um, ownership in the millionaire versus like a three dollar game with a hundred thousand people in it, all those should be pretty similar. So we're projecting for large field tournaments and then you can adjust based on your game. Um, we talk a, li- a lot about that like in our Discord about what we think someone might be owned in a in a three hundred dollar single entry or something like that. But uh how how do you typically what's your process for looking at these ownership projections and and how are you using ownership projections in your uh obviously stick to gpp bills here yeah i hate to say this but i have a super super nerdy process that involves code and charts and things that i don't wish upon other people but ultimately what i'm doing is i'm comparing value i'm comparing Mm -hmm. ceiling and i'm comparing ownership in a graph 
that's easy for my data visualization based brain to understand because ultimately yes it's different for every tournament i'm playing one thing i do uh again i'm using code to do this but i change ownership projections for a lineup mm -hmm. i i multiply that all together because that's the true ownership projection of a lineup yep. and then i change that to odds so say mm -hmm. One in 10,000 people play this yeah. lineup. One in 50,000 people play this lineup. And if there are more than 50,000 people in the tournament, I simply will eliminate all lineups yes. that happen uh, under 50,000% or 50,000% <laughs> that have an expected ownership that is more than that because it wouldn't make sense to play it in those tournaments. And so especially when I love to play three entry and single entry max, often you can find lineups that are actually different in terms of ceiling projections on a logarithmic scale, meaning like they're 10x yeah. more likely to hit their ceiling. Yeah. And we have a great tool in the GPP leverage uh, scores that can actually yeah. show you that as well. You yeah. can multiply those together and get a boom percent for your lineup. Whoa. I mean, that's obviously advanced, guys, mm -hmm. but that is something you can do to obviously show real differentiation and then if you just compare that like on the x-axis to the y-axis being ownership you're going to see drastic differences between the lineups you create yeah the the thing that um that the the, the simplest way that i'm using ownership is i'm sorting by some kind of projection type or salary and then looking at ownership which you can do in the lineup generator and looking for players that are bunched together and looking for outliers so uh, maybe you'll see a bunch of players that are like seven thousand dollar running backs that get similar workloads all of them might be projected for 15 plus uh, percent ownership and you have one guy that's five percent that goes guy's going to stand out as a a target um, that we want in tournaments another thing that i'm doing is looking at cumulative ownership and that's going to give us are scenarios where we have the biggest leverage opportunities as matt mentioned we can go back into last week's episode and understand leverage a little bit more but by looking at whatever teams are going to be the most popular with cumulative ownership whatever pass games are going to be most popular uh, with cumulative ownership we can find leverage opportunities in the running game in opposing passing games and what matt was talking about the the overall lineup ownership probably the um, least understood thing in ownership projections because we want to be contrarian we need some chalk plays that average or cumulative ownership which i track every week in um the in the tj's take gpp review that kind of target uh, per, uh ownership projection for your overall lineup that's going to let you know if you're in the sweet spot for a lineup that isn't too contrarian but can still differentiate from the field so um that that's really important um any any other thoughts on ownership um in the way you use it before we get out of here yeah cumulative ownership is actually a fantastic metric it's the best proxy for mm -hmm. doing all of that multiplying converting to odds that i was just talking about that i'm sure sounds nauseating to <laughs> lots of you and yeah just adding it all up will do a lot of that same work for you so it's a great great shortcut i like i like the idea of just that staying in that sweet spot is the most important thing and, and I want to say one more thing. If you look at ownership projections on 4 for 4, we project in ranges for ownership, not absolute. And I think that's very important in understanding because just like fantasy point projections, there is variance in ownership, especially um, like we've seen this season where there's very few guys hitting ceiling ownership, like the highest guy being 25% owned. So in those scenarios, sometimes we're going to have a lot of errors in our ownership projections, not in an absolute sense. They're probably still going to fall within like three to 5% of what we project, but in a relative sense. So we might have a, say a quarterback that we think he's going to be the most popular quarterback. We project him for 12.5%. But if there's a couple guys bunched really close together, he could really quickly be like the QB6 in terms of ownership if just a couple of the lineups decide that he is the play they play. And we saw that, I think it was in week three with Josh Allen. I didn't play much of him because I thought he was going to be chalkier. Ended up being like the QB7 or 8 in ownership as a huge game. I would have loved him as a tournament play if I knew he was going to be the, the QB8. So building variance into your ownership projections. I think that's kind of what you were talking about when you're looking at um, the, the likelihood of lineups hitting is, is really important as well. Um, any last thoughts before we get out of here, Matt? The next generation of ownership projections, I, I don't want to create any work <laughs> that is unnecessary here, but single entry versus GPP mm -hmm. ownership yeah. projections are for yeah. sure going to happen soon enough because there is differences here. We should get into that in another theory segment soon.
we will get into that in another theory segment and i have posted some stuff in the 444 discord on um, reviewing some of those single entry trends so make sure you're checking that out uh if you are here on youtube make sure you're subscribing to the podcast if you're listening to this on the podcast make sure you're coming and checking out the live stream youtube you can uh, come comment on the youtube uh if you're on the itunes Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. If you are here on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the 444 YouTube channel. As I mentioned at the top of the show, 444 DFS subscription is down to $74. If you haven't signed up for prize picks yet, you can get a subscription for as little as $20 by going to 444.com slash prize picks. Don't forget about our other shows. Matt and I will be back on Monday to review our cash lineups here on YouTube at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, Matt Harmon and I are dropping our Yahoo DFS values on the DFS MVP feed and the Yahoo feed. DFS GPP last look with Jordan Vanek every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time on the subscriber only Discord channel. Sign up for that right here in the show notes below. Follow us on Twitter. 444 is at 444football. Matt is at Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We will talk to you guys on Monday.